morning, everyone. And you're very welcome to our service this morning and, and those that are watching online as well. I have a few announcements to go through. Um, just to announce that World Day of Prayer in St. is in St. Columbanus on the 4th of March at half past seven. And Barry's big quiz, it's, it's now too late to enter a new team for the quiz, but you can still join another team if you'd like to. And you can make a donation to Ballycrockett support for the children in Peru and Rwanda. And you can see the order of service of ways to contribute. Uh, a fire warden, we're looking for your help with regards to a fire warden. Uh, would you be willing to be the fire warden um, for the church? And the details of the duties and responsibilities are provided in the order of service. Uh, please consider this carefully and contact Karen Cardy if you can assist with that. Uh, standing order, orders, we have a request for members of the congregation to consider using standing orders for our number one, two and three accounts and forms will be available after the service in the vestibule. Um, also prayer requests, if you'd, if you'd like prayer, uh, please contact your elder and he can pass your prayer request on uh, to myself. Um, however, if you feel uncomfortable with that, if there's something very personal, uh, you can fill in a wee slip out there in the vestibule and put the slip in the red box. Uh, you don't have to put your name on it. Uh, just let us know what to pray for. Um, okay. And also with regards to visits, uh, you know that ministers, we've been very much restricted on our visits over the COVID period. And um, we still are to a certain extent. Um, we are allowed to visit by request. So if you would like to see your minister, uh, if you'd like me to visit you, uh, you can uh, go to your elder and make that request and your elder will be in touch with me and I'll come out uh, to visit you. Just a wee reminder, the family service is on the 27th of February. Um, and, I, and I just want to say any children uh, and young people, if you'd like to be involved in any way, it could be saying a poem, it could be doing a wee song, it could be a wee bit of drama, or whatever you want to do, uh, it'll be your service. Okay, so if you let your Sunday club leader know, or your Bible class leader, they can let me know, and I'll put it in the order of service, and you can do what you want. It can be as silly as as funny as you want. Okay, so um, just to also we remind that our, our daily bread uh, issue is out there, available in the vestibule. You want to pick one up on your way out. And I'm just going to ask Tom Henry, he's going to give us a wee bit of an update with regards to the weekend. As long as you don't want me to give a song or a, a, tell a story, you're okay. Um, with regard to the weekend, um, you'll have noticed the, the um, notice in the order of service, and I'd ask you to have we read that when you go home. The, the places on the weekend are now all filled in the residential, but um, th there are opportunities for others to come up on the weekend. We, we thought we'd have a, a problem following our last keynote speaker, um, who was that renowned theologian, peace activist, uh, former moderator Ken Yule, who was just unbelievable, but we've done better. We, we've gone to the, the main man, in my opinion, in the uh, Republic of Ireland Civil Service. He holds the whole thing together down there, Barry Lowry. 
Um, and so we'll say a, a, a good meal falls to him, and, and uh, he promises that he's not going to talk about the protocol or the borders, uh, but he may actually talk about Christian protocols and, and the borders that, that inhibit our journey and our, and our Christian life. And as I said uh, earlier, it is a pivotal time in our congregation, um, and we believe that the weekend is an opportunity for all of us to become involved in planning our way forward uh, for the future of this congregation. And so we would encourage any of you who haven't been able to book a, a place, some are staying off site and that's still a possibility if, if you want to come up and, and arrange uh, say in B and B or something like that. If you let Linda McKnight or Laura Henry know, then they will. They'll. You, you can come for all the meals, and they'll just work out a, a cost for the meals. Some may want to come up on the Saturday. That's often the case where people just come for the Saturday. Uh, if you come up on the Saturday, you'll have a cooked breakfast in the morning. You'll have all the, the tray bakes and coffees and uh, a light lunch. Maybe some retail therapy in the afternoon, and then. Uh, a gourmet meal in the evening. Forget about uh, six by Nico. You're, you've got there's nothing in comparison to what you'll experience on the Saturday night. And then there's entertainment uh, put on by our own redcoats, our own resident redcoats, um, William and Jim, and they will entertain us on the well. They will help us to be entertained on the on the Saturday night. So, if you would like to a stay off campus, b come up for the day. You'll be very, very welcome. And again, just see Laura and Linda by next week so that that can be organised and planned because we have to obviously organise and, and order the food, etc. Um, something else that I, I just want to say, though, that even if you're not travelling to Bushmills, all of you uh, can be involved. As I say, this is a pivotal time in our congregation. And so we would really value your prayers from a distance. Uh, be part of the weekend by staying, staying in Bangor. So if you can't be with us over the weekend, we really would value your prayers. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. just want to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. Ephesians 2, 17 to 21. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we come together um, as part of the body of Christ, as part of that body that's meeting all throughout the world today, Lord, we want you to be the cornerstone of Ballycrocken Presbyterian Church, our plumb line, our guide, our the one, Lord, that we find inspiration from, the one that moves us, Lord, in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of mission and, and blessing to other people, to be light and to be salt 
in this area. Father, we just pray that in, in everything that's done and said this morning, that you would be glorified. Lord, there are people who have come this morning and their hearts are heavy. There are people that are coming in who are worried and frightened. Uh, people that are feeling very anxious, Lord, perhaps about the week ahead. We just pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would come and, and touch them. Uh, and Lord, reassure them and encourage them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing Cornerstone, Cornerstone.
I'd like to read from Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take, take your mat and walk. But that you, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praise God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And this is the word of God. So, um, Boys and girls, I want to ask you a question. Out of everyone in the world, who would you like to come to your house more than anyone else in the world? Could be a football player, could be a pop star. Could be the postman tomorrow to bring all the Valentine cards to you. Who would you like? Anybody? Any of the older children? Who would you want in your house? Mums, dads, grannies? Anybody you'd like to sit down and have a conversation with? Who's that? Wants a friend, do you? What do you, what do you call your friend? Sarah. Jessica wants Sarah. Well, I hope she comes. That would be lovely. That would be lovely. What, what if we were told that Jesus was actually coming to our house today for lunch to have a roast dinner? I bet you your mums and dads would be going, you go and clean your room. Jesus is coming. <laughs> but these people will find out that Jesus is coming to a house in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is right by the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Peter lived. And it's thought that Jesus was possibly coming to Peter's house. We aren't sure. But often Jesus would have gone to Peter's house when he was working up in that area and stayed with Peter in his house. So it could have been Peter's house. We're not sure. It says in one of the translations, though, that right through the town, it was noised. In the King James Version, it says, it was noised that Jesus was coming to the house. And what that means is people were going around the streets Buzzing like little bees. Bzz, 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 bzz. Jesus is coming. Do you hear Jesus come? Jesus is coming. And it was buzzing, 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 buzzing. And before long, there were crowds just coming up the street and to, to get to, to this house to meet Jesus. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to see any miracles that were going to happen. And they were shoulder to shoulder, stuck in the house like that. And even outside the house, there were queued uh, for, dis for long distances. Now, these four men, they heard that Jesus was in the house as well. And they had a friend who was paralyzed. Do you know what it means to be paralyzed, boys and girls? Do you? 
No, it means can't, if a person's paralyzed, they can't feel their feet, they can't feel their legs, can't walk. Can you imagine someone like that not being able to go and play football with their friends, not being able to run or run on the beach, not being able to feel the nice cold water of the Sea of Galilee coming in around their feet? Because they were paralyzed. That's what it means to be paralyzed. And these four men, they had broken their hearts over this friend of theirs that they'd seen grow up. He'd been a friend for probably many years. And they just longed, if only we could get to the house, if only we could get to where Jesus is, maybe he could heal him. But when they arrived, the problem was they couldn't get in. Too many people, they couldn't get in the door. So they decided, and in the Middle East, the houses are built where the roofs are flat, and they usually have steps up the side. So they decide to take the man and they carry him on a stretcher up the side of the house, onto the flat roof, and then they start to take away the mud roof. Can you imagine, if that was Peter, he's probably going, look at my roof, I spent so much money on getting that roof done. But soon, he was, this man was being lowered down in front of Jesus. And when he was lowered down in front of Jesus, Jesus turned round to him and said, your sins are forgiven. He said, your sins are forgiven. Well, some of the religious leaders, they went, <laughs> they went, Hannes. They thought to themselves, only God can forgive sins. Only, this is terrible. What is this man saying? And Jesus turned around to them. He knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And he turned around and he said, what's easier for me to say? Sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? He says, so you know that I have the power to forgive sins. I'm going to turn around and say to this man to get up and walk. And he turns to him, he says, pick up your mat and go home. There's religious leaders. Uh, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. There's two things, boys and girls, that we learn from this. First thing is, Jesus can heal. And he still does heal. And that's why when people are sick, we pray for them. And sometimes God heals them. Sometimes he chooses not to heal them. But Jesus heals. But also he brings forgiveness. He brings forgiveness. That no matter what we have done, or thought, or our attitudes in the past, he is willing and able to forgive our sins when we come to him. And they're cleaned. They're cleansed. They're wiped away. So you can have a fresh start. So that man, he got up and he rolled up his bed. Can you imagine that? He starts to feel his feet for the first time ever. He can feel the ground under his feet. He can feel the muscles begin strengthen, which he has never had to use before. And suddenly he's able to walk. What an incredible day that was when Jesus came to this house. You know what, boys and girls? You don't have to go and clean your room for Jesus coming. Jesus is right here this morning. 
in this place. He says, where two or three are gathered together, I am with you. And that's why I believe that even in praising God and worshiping God in his presence, healing can take place, even without asking. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing uh, one of your songs. I hope you know this. It's called Go Tell It on the Mountain. It's not that we've got an awful lot of mountains around Bangor, but basically it means go and tell the good news that Jesus can heal, that Jesus can forgive, that Jesus is Savior, that he brings us into a relationship with God our Father through what he's done on the cross. So it says, go tell it on the mountain. Go tell everyone the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's, let's stand and we'll sing, go tell it on the mountain. As you go out to Sunday school and Bible class, don't forget what I said about in a couple of weeks. If you want to do something, you say to your Sunday school leader, and you can do it up here. Okay? All right. I found a, a wee challenging, um, short, very short video about what is prayer founded on the internet. So we're going to have a wee look at that uh, now. Some religious checklists. 
done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want. Or at least avoid the lightning bolt. Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation. Who gives us life and breath who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Wherever we are, how can we not thank him for what he's done, or cry out when we need help, when we need forgiveness, when we're afraid, when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from. Why would we live a life apart from Him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made Himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in Him, to acknowledge our dependence on Him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence, because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from His presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that His kingdom come his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. We're going to pray in a wee moment. We're going to pray for the Afghanistan crisis. Um, I received an email uh, from the moderator during the week. He's made an appeal. Um, let me just read it to you. Um, in recent weeks, the desperate situation of millions of people in Afghanistan has been hitting our news headlines. The United Nations estimates that 95% of the 40 million people in the country currently in the grip of winter do not have enough to eat. More than 8 million people are on the brink of famine, and there are fears that without emergency relief, some 23 million people will face desperate hardship in the coming months. This has come about due to the worst drought in 27 years, the recent conflict and change in government, economic collapse and mass unemployment, causing the cost of food and basic necessities to soar. The country's healthcare system is also very close to collapse, and the COVID-19 pandemic continues. I want to encourage members of our congregations to pray earnestly for those who are experiencing such unimaginable hardship suffering at this time and to consider giving financially. I'm conscious that there are already many existing appeals for support of numerous good causes and many people in our own country are feeling pressurized by the increase in the cost of living. Nonetheless, in the face of this unfolding disaster in Afghanistan, I ask that you please give generously through the emergency appeals of Christian Aid or Tear Fund, PCI's Relief and Development Partners. Both charities are working through local organizations on the ground to bring food and aid to the people most affected in addition to 
you may wish to support the work of, our, of one of our partners in global mission, SAT7, broadcasting the Christian message of hope into Afghanistan through the SAT7 Powers Channel, especially supportive of the small Christian community. Um, I'll, I'll not read any more, but just to, to let you know that we're, we're looking, we're focusing maybe on the next week or two to um, offer you an opportunity to give uh, to the Afghanistan crisis. Uh, we had a very interesting breakfast yesterday morning. Uh, a lady, Gillian, came and spoke to us about Samaritan's Purse and their work particularly in Afghanistan. Uh, and she said that it's got so bad with regards to people being hungry that uh, some fathers, some people are selling their kidneys to feed their family. Some even are selling their children to feed their family. And uh, another difficulty is with hypothermia, where uh, children have frozen to death um, through lack of clothing. So um, we're, we're looking ahead. We had already had planned um, to, to give something to Samaritan's Purse, um, but we'll look ahead to see uh, if we can give the both uh, organizations to Tear Fund and uh, our children in need and Samaritan's Purse. But please, that next week there'll be a wee bit more detail, there'll be a wee PowerPoint, there'll be a short video that we can show you. Um, but, but think about that uh, prayerfully. Think about what you could give towards the crisis in Afghanistan. Let's just pray together for a moment. Father, we, we take our lives so much for granted here. We get up. Lord, we eat our breakfast. Lord, we have a, a, an awful lot of clothes just to choose what we're going to wear today. Is it warm? If it's warm, I'll wear something lighter. If it's cold, I've got a good jumper to wear and a coat to put on. And Lord, those things we take so much for granted. And uh, Father, just across the world, there are children that are shivering at night and freezing to death. And, and there are those, Lord, families, fathers who are pulling their hair out, perhaps selling their kidneys to try and get enough money to feed their family. Lord, we, we, don't, we find it hard to understand a situation like that, and we take so much that we have here for granted. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would be with Tear Fund and be with uh, Christian Aid. And, and Lord, we, I pray, Father, that you would be with Samaritan's Purse, with people on the ground in there. And we just pray, Lord, that, that God, that you would use all of those organizations to bring relief, to bring what is necessary, to bring what is, what is required, Father, for those people to have a quality of life, Lord Jesus. And, and Father, we pray for Sat7 as they put the gospel of Jesus Christ into Afghanistan, Lord, through television. We just pray, God, guide them what they say. Be with them. And Lord, guide, God, just pray that those that you want to hear it may hear it, that they may receive it. The children and moms and dads may receive the gospel, that they, that they are special to you, God. And indeed, that they are special Lord, to those in Ballycrock and back here in Northern Ireland, Father, that there are people who pray and care for their situation. Lord, I pray, teach us to pray. Teach us to know what to pray. Lead us by your Spirit, Father, and bring relief to those people, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
we're going to stand and we're going to sing um, and can it be going to continue our series this morning with Philippians chapter 1, uh, book of Philippians chapter 1 verses 18 to 26, uh, the theme being seeing life from God's perspective, seeing life from God's perspective, chapter 1 verses 18 to 26. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is the word of God. Let's just pray. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ. And thank you, Jesus, that you came and you're here this morning. Holy Spirit, won't you teach us more about his lovely name? Amen. So far, we've seen that Paul is in prison, uh, but that he's using this opportunity to share the gospel with the guards uh, who he's chained to. Uh, there are those though, outside who are preaching Christ with pure motives. There are those that are preaching Christ with impure motives. And, uh, but last week we left off with verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, writes Paul, I rejoice. I want to look today uh, briefly just at three things that Paul is confident in. Confident in his deliverance. Secondly, he's confident that Christ will be honored. And thirdly, he's confident in life or death. First of all, confident in his deliverance. Verse 19, Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, whether that deliverance comes from victory in a courtroom and then being freed from prison, or whether that deliverance comes in death when he will go to be with Christ his Savior, uh, you could say for Paul, it's a win-win situation. He's confident that in either situations, whether freed from prison or dying outside, in, being executed outside in the yard, whether it's one of those, he says, I will be delivered either way. But please notice, firstly, that he places his confidence in prayer. Or should I say, in the one who answers prayer. Prayer in and of itself changes nothing. But it's the one who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. He's the, the mountain mover. He's the, the miracle. Uh, he's the miracle producer. And Paul writes, I know that through your prayers, deliverance is coming. He's confident that the people in Philippi are praying for him. You know, what a comfort that is and what a reassurance that is for all of us to know that there are people praying for us. You know, when you're going through troubled times, difficult times, and perhaps you find it even hard to pray yourself. It is so important to know that there are people praying for you on your own 
on your behalf. Um, five young college students uh, who were spending a Sunday in London many years ago, uh, they, they decided to, they'd like to go and hear C.H. Spurgeon preach. Uh, while they were waiting for the doors to open, the students arrived early and they were greeted by a man who asked them, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to go and see the heating plant of this church? And they weren't that interested. It was a hot day in July. They didn't really want to go anywhere. There was a lot of heat. But they didn't want to offend uh, the stranger. And so they, they said, okay, we'll go. And the young men were taken down a stairway, taken through a door. The door was quietly opened. And the guide that was guiding them, he whispered, he says, uh, this is our heating plant. And surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above them. Paul here is confident that people are praying for him back in Philippi, and that that deliverance will come as a result of the God who they're praying to. And that deliverance will come one way or the other. Should it be a release from prison? Or should it be execution in the yard outside? One way or another, he will be delivered. But he also places confidence in the work of the Spirit of Christ. He says, I know because of the help I receive from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I will be delivered because of him. A more accurate translation in place of the word help is, is supply. God is supplying me with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God supplies me. He undergirds me. He strengthens me. He supplies me with all that I need for this situation, for this difficult period that I am going through. And he says, these two, these two things, your prayers for me, and the strength of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that God supplies me with, those two things, they're working together and they'll work for my deliverance. If you're finding life tough at the moment, these two things are of vital importance and very relevant to you. Um, the prayers of the people in this church. And it is our responsibility to be praying for people that are struggling. But also the Spirit of Jesus Christ being supplied to each of us, whatever our need is. We're not alone. You know, each born-again believer has the Spirit of Christ within them. God's Spirit living inside. It's just something that automatically happens when you receive Christ. Um, it's what makes you a child of God. In John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, John speaks of um, those that receive Jesus Christ, they become children of God, and he says it's not born of the flesh, not born of the will of man, but born of God, born from above. So when you receive Christ as Savior and Lord, God's Spirit automatically comes to live within you. Never leaves you. But there are times, however, when 
when believers experience more of the Spirit's fullness, more of the Spirit's power, as Peter stands before Cephas in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, we're told he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And just before Stephen is stoned, we're told, but, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven. And this happens repeatedly in Acts. During difficult times, we see believers receiving supplies of the Spirit of God's filling to bring them through especially difficult times. Paul says, your prayers and the sustenance of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he nourishes me, he gives me all I need. And those two things will make sure that I come through this either to be with Christ or to go out and join you again in evangelism and service. You know, what a tool we really have in prayer. It's a powerful, powerful tool. Well, or powerful, powerful God, and he gives us the prayer tool to use. And yet, how little we take advantage of it. I think if we were to ask any Christian anywhere, what they struggle with the most in their Christian lives, I think they'd answer prayer. I know it would be with me. Um, how we need really to be getting alone with God in prayer, to go into his presence and stay there until the job is done. Until we're no longer praying in the flesh and stumbling, but praying under the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit and aligning our hearts with God's heart that we might know what he wants us to pray. And in your situation, and I can't emphasize this enough, in your situation right now, God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. No matter how dark your situation is right now, no matter how much you're hurting, Right now, God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Get into the closet to ask him. But secondly, Paul is confident that Christ will be honored. It's so that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body by life or by death. But Paul starts this verse with, I eagerly expect and hope. I'm expecting and I'm hoping that I will in no way be ashamed, but that I will have courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or whether by death. Whatever that road takes, you know, expectation, hope. What tremendous strength of character Paul has, you know, <laughs> Christ will, I'm praying that Christ will be, I have hope that Christ will be exalted whether I'm f set free from this place or whether I'm executed out the back. But let me explain to you that biblical hope is different from our general understanding of hope. In the general use of the word hope, there's a lot of room for doubt. For example, I hope that Manchester United win the Premier League this season. <laughs> now, there's an awful lot of uncertainty <laughs> about that. 
But biblical hope brims with certainty. It overflows with certainty because it's based upon the fact that God is God and he has my future and your future in his hands. And Paul writes, I expect, I hope, I hope with a certainty that I may exalt Jesus Christ whatever road I end up going in living or in dying. There's a man, William Borden, who was a, he was from a rich millionaire family. And uh, his father had made a fortune in silver mining. Uh, the inheritance was there for him. You know, he could have just sat back and not worked, but just had the life of Riley. But he turned his back on his inheritance because he felt a call, call of God to go on a mission. He was interested in reaching Northwestern Muslims in China. And first of all, he wanted to learn the language and learn about Islam. So he went to stay with a family in Cairo before he'd go on, on his journey. And it was whilst, that he, it was whilst he was with this family that he contracted cerebral meningitis. And he died a few weeks later. Only a very young man. And it's been said that after his death in his Bible, his mother found written, handwritten, no reserve, no regrets, no retreat. You know, he hadn't even reached the mission field that he felt God wanted him to go to, China. But he had honored the Lord in responding to that call. He had honored him in his life. And he'd arrived in Cairo and he'd got this awful cerebral meningitis. And through those difficult times and struggling through that, even unto his death, he honored him in his death. No reserve, not holding anything back. No regrets, I'll do it again if I got a chance. And no reserve. Moving forward in his will, whatever that will may be in the future, life or death. And Paul writes, I expect and I hope to honor the Lord, whatever road he has for me ahead, whether it's life or death. But thirdly and finally, just uh, Paul is confident in life or death. For to me, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the most well-known quote in the book of Philippians. Uh, the basis for the statement, it comes from Paul's understanding that Christ is in him and that he is in Christ. And it's an understanding that comes from Jesus' teaching himself, where Jesus speaks of himself as the true vine and his followers as the branches, and we are grafted into him so that we receive his strength and his love and his joy and his peace and his presence. You know, can anyone be ever closer to Christ than this? And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, grafted into Christ, he's a new creation. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's that connection, Paul says. For me to live is Christ. I have that connection, even though I'm suffering, even though I'm weak, even though my body's covered in bruises, I have that connection. 
can Christ be ever any closer than that? Well, the only way, Paul says, is in death. He says, to die is gain. You could say that Paul has a kingdom life perspective. He, he writes to the church at Colossae and he says, set your hearts on things above. Paul sees from God's perspective that life, when he put that soul of yours into your body, in the, your mother's womb, that soul, that spirit that makes you unique, that makes you unique, God doesn't plan for that just to last for a short period. He's planning for eternity. I want you to imagine, I can get this apart. I want you to imagine that this is a timeline. That it's a timeline that goes on forever though, in eternity. This little red part here is your life on earth. That's so small compared to eternity. But yet often we live our lives as if that's all there is, that we read part. And we try to fit into our lives everything that we possibly can into that we read part. We, you know, we take on a bucket list even and go, when I retire, I'm going to do this, 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 and we've got to fit it all into this small part. And Paul says, set your, set your heart on things above because when God created you, he created you for eternity. Your body would survive this length until it gets very weary. But your spirit or your soul would go on. Remember Jesus said about this man who built bigger barns. I'm looking forward to my retirement because I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy all of my labors and enjoy my retirement. And God says to him, you fool. Is it wrong to have your, to develop a business? No, not at all. Is it wrong to look forward to retirement and enjoy your retirement? No. What's the problem? Well, the problem was that that man lived as if that's all he had, that red part. He lived his whole life with no thought for God, no thought for his soul, no thought for eternity. And Jesus says, you know, what benefit is it? What good is it? If we... You know, if we gain the whole world while we're in this little section and we end up with the nicest house and the nicest cars and everything, which God isn't against those things. But what purpose is it if you pour it all into this but give no thought to your Creator? And Paul is saying, Paul takes it up a notch. Many people would say, I'm not afraid of death. Many Christians would say that. And that's great. That is great. 
Paul takes it up a notch. He says, wow, for me to die is gain. Because I'm already close to Christ here, but I've been suffering a lot. I've been whipped and left to die many times. It's been painful. I've got sores. I've got scars. For to be with Christ when I die, minus the suffering, well, that's gain. That's gain. I want to say to anybody that whatever age you are, if you're still alive, and I'm assuming you are alive because you drove here this morning, <laughs> I'd like to think you're all alive. So no matter what age you are, if you're still alive, God has a purpose for you to serve him. And perhaps you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ yet. God's been waiting for that a long time. And God's given you that time to get right with him. And my advice would be, don't waste that time. Don't waste that time, because you don't know when that end's going to come and you go into eternity. That's God's perspective on life. We're here, but he plans for us to be with him in his presence for eternity. And the tears will be gone, and the pain will be gone. And you'll be looking at him. And the pain that you felt down here will be insignificant in comparison. Let's just pray. Lord, we just, uh, Father, help us. Help us, Father, to see life from your perspective. We thank you for this life that you've given to us and you want us to thoroughly enjoy. Lord, we thank you that it's only a preparation ground for what's to come. And we look forward to what's to come. Lord, I pray that we might, as we're here, Lord, that we might be responsible, that we might make sure that others know what is to come and the good news that is in Jesus Christ. That he who trusts in him shall never perish. That he who comes to him, you'll never turn away. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a final hymn. It's God of Grace, Amazing Wonder.
now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.